Hey, if you have a Bible, would you open up with me to uh, Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter uh, 14, is where we're going to be this morning, Matthew chapter 14. Um, Happy New Year. Today marks uh, the end of one year and the beginning of another, so as some say, new year, new you, I don't really believe in that, but hey, if that's you, get after it. Set some resolutions, become a new person. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today, though, because what we like to do every year uh, at Living Hope, or what I like to do in my kind of preaching schedule, this, this Sunday always sort of falls in a weird spot. It's in that week where uh, if you guys have had unused vacation time at work, perhaps you don't know what day it is right now. Um, you know, you kind of lay around the house, watch bowl games, eat too much food, and you put off whatever you're planning on doing with your diet until Tuesday, because that's the magic day that all of a sudden, again, you change. Um, what I do on this week every year during the kind of in-between space is just talk about the, the one word or the one phrase that's kind of guiding my heart and my life into the year ahead, which hopefully spills over into living hope and uh, in, in direction and in leadership specific to my, my role as lead pastor here. Uh, and so each year I kind of talk about that and what I hope the Lord is going to do in the year ahead. And that's what we're going to do today, looking at what is somewhat a familiar story if you've been around the Bible, around church very much, the story of Jesus summoning Peter to join him in walking on water. And hopefully today it will um, spark for you some, some idea about what the Lord would call you into in the year ahead as well. So look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 14, beginning uh, in verse 22. Immediately he, and that's Jesus, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I told you guys, I think about a, a week or so ago, I had a birthday, and so again, I've been in a season of sort of reflecting. I, um, I'm reaching one of those milestone ages, I think. My son reminded me, hey, Dad, congratulations, you're halfway to 90. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Congratulations. I'm taking your Christmas presents back. Uh, <laughs> No, uh, so it's, it's caused me to just think, man, I don't know if, if any of y'all went through this, those of you who are a little further down the road than me, for men especially, the whole idea of a, of a midlife crisis. I've told y'all over the last couple of years, I used to scoff at that idea and laugh about it, but <laughs> the more I go to this stage of life, I'm like, no, that's a real thing. Like you look back on your life and you're like, why do I do the things that I do? And why have I always done things this particular way? And so you start perhaps reevaluating, reconsidering the, the habits, patterns, and, and, and direction of your life. And so I've done that some lately. And some of the stuff that's come to the surface for me, I've thought about, like, when I was growing up, my sister's here today, by the way, she's in visiting. So if you ever want to fact check some of my backwoods country stories, she'll be available after service uh, to, 
confirm some of the things I've told you all over the years. But when I was growing up, I, we always had a cousin. We had cousins around out in the sticks where we lived. And so we would kind of get into, you know, some shenanigans and hijinks together occasionally. And I was often the idea guy. Like I would think up the thing, but I was never really brave enough to do the thing. And so we were talking about it just last night. I just got the cousins together one time and I was like, what if we dam up the creek behind the house and then jump in? And we always had one cousin who would be like, I'll go. I'll do it, you know, and he was the guy, you know, he was the one who would take off and jump into the water. Later on, as, uh, later on in, in like adolescence, when I became a teenager, I had a group of friends, and again, I was the idea guy. I wonder what would happen if we put a rope swing on that tree and then, you know, flung ourselves out into the water. And I always had the friend who'd be like, oh, I'll go, I'll do it. And so I, I, I love to kind of keep the, the crash test dummy by my side, right? The, the one for whom if it goes sideways, I get to learn from their mistake. I get to come up with the idea and they get to test it out. Now, as I've become an adult, I've noticed that this pattern kind of continues on. And oftentimes when it comes to making big decisions, I can get what I think some call paralysis by analysis, reevaluate, rethink, consider all the options and never really move forward with something. And I, I've realized I need an I'll go guy in my life. Like I need someone who's volunteering to be around me at all times so I can say, here's what I'm thinking. Why don't you try it? <laughs> now, it, over the years, as I've done this, I've, I've always baptized this way of living with biblical ideas like, uh, oh, I'm just using wisdom or uh, maybe I, I'm counting the cost as Jesus told his disciples. And yet what I've begun to learn about myself is that so often this, this, this thing that I do of, of constant consideration of second guessing and reevaluation, it's, it's actually motivated by fear. And fear can creep into my heart and my life. Fear often gets a seat at the table to discuss what's next. Oftentimes being able to overrule what faith would call me to do. And so for that reason, and I'm saying this, I say this every year whenever I preach this particular sermon to you guys, I'm throwing this out there to y'all, not just to say, hey, would you join me in this? But also I want you to do the thing as well. But, but I'm also looking for some accountability here. I want to be the I'll go guy. And so that's my word for this coming season. I'll go. I'll do it. I'll step out. Now, I believe that, that, that the life of faith, the life of following Jesus is a life where you, you never really get to put fear on the shelf. You know, I, I've said for years that there's this thing about following Jesus in the world that whatever your natural inclination or pro proclivity is, following Jesus is going to push against it. And so I, what I mean by that is like some folks that I've met over the years would say like, I'm, I'll go anywhere. I'm I'm the all-go guy. And I'm like, yeah, for those folks who would say, yeah, I'll sell everything I have and jump on a plane and go to a third world country and serve Jesus there. For them, all-go doesn't mean doing that. It means getting a job at Home Depot in the suburbs and loving the, you know, the mundane patterns of life to the glory of God. All of us have this pressure point when it comes to faith where God pushes on us and says, this is what it would look like for you to live by faith and not by fear. And so today I want to just talk about that for a second. In the year ahead, as I practice being the I'll-go guy, what does that mean? And what does it mean specifically for following Jesus and discipleship in leadership and, and, and in life and in faith? Uh, three things that I think that Jesus reveals as he summons Peter out of the boat to join him walking on the water uh, that I want to put in the into practice in the year ahead as I, as I want to practice more of living by faith. The first thing we see is that when Jesus summons Peter out of the boat, he calls him to be decisive, to be decisive 
decisive. Look, look back with me, if you will, at verse 22. Immediately he came to the disciples. Again, that's Jesus. Told them to get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So in Matthew's gospel, a lot has been happening up until this point. First thing that happened at the beginning of this chapter is that John the Baptist was put to death. It's a scary time. Following Jesus for his disciples now, they're beginning to see there's, there's consequences uh, this is going to not just cost us our livelihood, it may actually cost us our very lives. And so when Jesus had summoned them to follow him at the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, perhaps they jumped in thinking, yeah, I'm up for an adventure. I, I like, you know, finding a new rabbi that's got a new way of teaching and a new way of life. I'll, I'll give myself to that for a season. But now, uh-oh, one of the guys who went before us has been put to death. So this is costly. And right before this episode, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 with just some loaves and fish. And his disciples were partaking in that, realizing that Jesus gives them what they need to do what he has called them to do. He supplies for them what, what will be required of them when the moment comes when things get tricky or things get tough. And so that's sort of the, the, the lesson that has preceded this. Now Jesus says, go get in the boat, go to the other side. And then Jesus does something that Matthew records over and over and over again. He goes by himself to be alone to pray. We're going to talk about that uh, next week as we start a new series in January about spiritual disciplines that we practice to, to foster faith and, and trust for Jesus in our hearts and lives. So be here for the next several weeks as we kind of kick off the year looking at that. But as Jesus puts them in the boat, sends them to the other side, he is intentionally putting them into a storm. So he's putting them in a situation, and I would say a safe situation, whereby they're going to feel the, the, the conflictedness of doing what Jesus has called us to do, going to the other side of the sea, while also feeling the tension of having to, to navigate a storm in a boat. And often that's what the life of faith looks like. It looks like God putting us in situations where we feel this tension of, if I follow in obedience, if I do what he's called me to do, it's a little bit scary. It's a little bit terrifying. It's going to require me to trust him more if I, if I believe that I'm going to make it on, to the other side of this. And so in the midst of that, Jesus comes to them, it says, uh, verse 24, the boat was a long way from the land, had been beaten by the waves, for the wind was against it. And in the fourth watch of the night, probably sometime between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus comes to them walking on the sea, Matthew says. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. So just think about the, the setup. Jesus has knowingly put them in a precarious situation. I'm going to put you in a boat on the water in a storm, and you're going to contend with that. And then whenever you've been contending with it all night, at the time whenever you're tired and you're exhausted, you're ready for bed, you want to lay down, <laughs> I'm going to show up. And I, but I'm not going to show up in a way where you're like, oh, good, Jesus is here. You're going to be like, what is that? He's, he's a ghost. They're, they're terrified. And that's whenever Jesus does something spectacular. Not the walking on the sea part. It's what he says. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, what happens next? And I love, Matthew's the only one who records this, this story for us. Uh, what happens next is super informative for what it means to say, I'll go, to live by faith and not by fear. Look at what Peter says, verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. I think Jesus calls Peter in that moment to be decisive. And I want you to think this morning because being decisive is not the same thing as being impulsive. 
So often, what I've noticed in my own life, the way that I get gridlocked in counting all the options, considering all the outcomes, thinking through all the unintended consequences of if I make this decision, these dominoes fall this way. If I, if I go in this direction, all of these possibilities open up for potential danger. That, that way of thinking, oftentimes when we, we, we want to be decisive, but we think, oh, but if I just make this call, then I'm being impulsive. Maybe, maybe not. For Peter, in this instance, Jesus has summoned a command to him. And the right thing to do in that moment when the command is issued is to be decisive. It's not impulsive to jump out of the boat when Jesus has said, come to me. It's not impulsive to, to follow in his way whenever Jesus has made very clear what the next best step is. And so Peter demonstrates for us that there's a difference between being decisive and being impulsive. It isn't disobedience to, to pick that direction, to hear that command, and to go as Jesus has summoned you to go. Oftentimes, we justify our paralysis by analysis by calling decisiveness impulsivity. And we look at those who make quick decisions, and we look at those who, 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 who hear the summons of faith and walk in that direction with a decisive step and pattern, and we say, I don't know, they haven't really thought all the things through, they haven't considered, they haven't Googled it enough, they haven't slept on this one enough, when in fact, the life of faith is a life of hearing the summons of God himself, and we'll say, see this in just a second, immediately responding with a yes and amen and doing what we've been told to do. I read a book this last summer uh, called Empire of the Summer Moon. It was a chronicle of the, the Comanche Indian tribe and how they kind of ruled the western half of the United States, beginning with western Oklahoma and onward. And one of the things that they talk about in there is this warrior mentality that they had and how um, everything was, was, um, was directed towards winning and victory. And, and it's a fascinating read, but they had this one particular chief that led the tribe that the, the, the biographer talked about, said that this guy kind of had set in place a, a culture of them being brave and courageous. And what struck me was the way that they described this particular, this particular chief of the tribe. It said that he, in moments of, of conflict, he feared being indecisive more than making the wrong decision. He feared doing nothing and being passive more than doing something that may cost him his own life. And that jumped off the page to me because I thought so often in the life of faith, that, that's the gridlock, that's the tension, that's the place we find ourselves, where we think it would be better to just consider all the options than taking the next best step. See here with Jesus and even with Peter, when Peter's terrified, when he and the rest of the disciples are crippled with fear, when they are, when they are paralyzed, when they are in that fight or flight moment and they're frozen, Jesus says, come, you got to take a step. You got to be decisive. You got to make a decision. And so what I take from that is that on matters of obedience, we are called to respond immediately. Now, oftentimes we want to negotiate what obedience means on a particular decision. And sometimes there are decisions where it's not a right and a wrong. It's a right and a left. There, there are multi multiple options from which we can make uh, multiple decisions. But in some instances, we know precisely and exactly what God has made clear about the next best step. And then we negotiate that. We want to, as some Southerners may say, we want to hem-haw about that. We want to walk out all the possibilities. In matters of obedience, disciples of Jesus are called to respond immediately. Now, 
If you go back and look in this section that we just read, verse 22 on, three different times Matthew uses the word immediately. And that's really important. In Matthew's gospel, he uses that word more than any other gospel writer. And he uses it at really pivotal junctures in the ministry and life of Jesus. So if you were to go back through Matthew's gospel, you would see the first time I think that Matthew says immediately is whenever Jesus is baptized. And it says that as Jesus is lifted out of baptismal waters by John the Baptist, immediately a voice came from heaven. And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So God looks upon obedience and immediately blesses it with the right words from heaven. When God sees obedience taking place, it's blessed. That's the, the, the imagery that Matthew gives us. Jesus would then go on and call disciples to himself. And it says that when James and John, sons of Zebedee, were fishing, Jesus came to them and said, follow me. And it says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. When Jesus tells us the parable of the four soils, how uh, some of the so seed never lands because the ground is rock and, uh, and, and it's hard and, and no, no soil can, no root seed can take root in that. Uh, he says that some soils, uh, the enemy comes and snatches it away. Some soils, uh, the thorns and thistles grow up and choke it out. But he says, to some who hear the word and, and, and receive it, immediately they respond with joy. So there's an immediacy, there's an urgency to hearing what God has commanded us to do and then acting in faith and being decisive. I'll go. Here, here am I, Lord, send me. We see this in the parable of the Gadarene demoniac, whenever Jesus lands on the far side of the sea and comes upon this man who's been crippled by by demon possession for the majority of his life. And he's been outcasted by, by society and he's living on the margins in the tombs and he's cutting himself and he's overwhelmed with shame and fear and pain and all of these uh, harmful things. And then Jesus casts the demons out and it says that the, the, the gathering demoni demoniac immediately was in his right mind. And he came to Jesus and said, can I go with you? And Jesus said, no, go back to the Decapolis, tell the people what I've done for you. And immediately he left and told there should be in our hearts, in our lives, in a life of faith, a sense of urgency when God has summoned us to something. When a decision is before us and we want to negotiate the terms or the outcomes, we want to hem-haw about with God and the Holy Spirit about what we should do, when in fact the scripture calls us to respond decisively and immediately to what God has called us to do. When God has made something apparent in his word, we have to act on it. When God has convicted us of a particular sin, we need to repent of it. When the Holy Spirit has pressed upon our hearts things that he wants to change, ways that he wants to lead us, when he summons us or sends us, our response has to be, I'll go. Wherever you lead, Lord. You know, one of the ways that I was brought up, and maybe some of y'all as well, was in a season of, of evangelicalism that's now being called by historians revivalism. Some of y'all will know what that means. The, the end of the sermon, the guy that's doing my job right now would just continue saying, do you know that you know that you know Jesus? And we would sing these songs that would go on, seems like forever for you to make a decision. Oftentimes I felt like someone would walk the aisle just to be like, can we get this over with? Like the invitation, I'll respond. But one thing I love, one thing I, I wish we would hold on to from revivalism is this idea that if the spirit has convicted us of something, we've got to do something about it. We don't sit on it. We don't mull it over. We don't talk about it or consider the fallout. We move. That's what it means to be decisive. That's what God has called Peter to here in this episode, to walk on water, to get out of the boat. Jesus has summoned Peter come and Peter went. Which then follows up with what's necessary if we're going to say, I'll go. You've got to be daring. You've got to be daring. 
Courage only, courage and, and, and faith are not opposites. You get that, right? Or courage and, and fear are not opposites. Fear exists and courage is, is, is acting out what God has called us to do despite the fear. Or in other words, courage is not the absence of fear. It's moving forward despite our fears. That's what we see happen with Peter. So go back and look at what Jesus commands them to. It's really interesting. Immediately Jesus spoke to them. Verse 27, they're afraid. What does God do? He does something immediately. He gives them a word. And what he gives them has a, has a bit of a pattern to it. Jesus says, look, take heart. In other words, let the word that I'm speaking to you not just rattle around in your ears. Let it not just be a factor in the pros and cons of your decision making. Let it be something that actually dials down your anxiety and overwhelms your emotions in a positive direction. Take heart. Let the word of the Lord do the work that it was intended to do, which is settle you down a little bit, to calm you to sober you up so that you consider this is God speaking to you. Take heart. And then he says, it is I. Now, it's a little bit of a clunky translation. What Jesus actually says there is take heart, I am. And the disciples know what I am means. That's what God had called himself to Moses in the book of Exodus, Yahweh. I am who I am. Jesus says, look, you've been, you're scared of the storm that you're in. You're afraid and terrified because I look like a ghost, but I am God. Take heart, let that truth root itself in your emotions and in your soul so that you can hear this, don't be afraid. Now, I don't think that command of Jesus is saying that you have the ability by faith to shut off the fear switch. I think it means you have the ability to move forward despite the fear switch. You have the ability like Peter here to say, okay, if it is you, Peter doesn't say, give me a promise that I won't sink. Peter doesn't say, make the storm cease and then I'll get out of the boat. He doesn't say, get all these other jokers to agree with me that this is the next best step I need to take so that I have wisdom. He says, command me. Jesus, if it's really you, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And then he's daring because he gets out of the boat. When Jesus has come, Peter doesn't negotiate it. He gets out of the boat and begins walking towards him. Again, courage is not the absence of fear. It is moving forward despite our fear. A fear is a major player in this account, and it's a major player in all of Matthew's gospel. Because Matthew tells us, even in the life of Peter, following Jesus is often going to be very scary. We see this with Peter, for instance, from this point forward. I think that Jesus is already beginning to call him out of the boat so that he can begin practicing what faith looks like despite the fact that he's very afraid. Because just a few chapters later, Jesus is going to look down from, from, uh, from an elevated point and say, they say that I'm this or that. Who do you say that I am? And Peter's going to say, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. To which Jesus will respond, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. My father who is in heaven. He's going to change his name in that moment. You've been called Simon, but now you'll be called, called Peter because you're the rock. And then he's going to say, but guess what's about to happen? I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be put to death. And then Peter rebukes Jesus. You know you're on shaky ground when you're re rebuking the one you just called Messiah. And he says, no, that should never happen. You're, you're the Lord. And, and Jesus answers Peter, get behind me, Satan. What's going on in that episode? Why is Jesus having all of that being acted after he's called him out on the water? Because Peter's afraid. And that fear becomes a gridlock for him. Because we see at the end of the Gospels, at the end of, of Matthew's Gospel, that when Peter's confronted by a little girl about being a disciple of Jesus, he's afraid of being called out in public. So he denies Christ three times. 
Peter's giving, Jesus is giving Peter in this episode an exercise, a practice, a discipline to get out of the boat and be daring because you're going to need it because it's not just going to be storms and it's not just going to be scary because you think I'm a ghost. There's actual death around the corner if you follow me. And in those moments, you're going to need to know that I'm with you, that I am God, that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. For all followers of Jesus, we've got to recognize that committing our lives to Christ and following him, we're going to have to make peace with having some fear in our lives. It's not going to go away. Despite how orderly suburban life may be, where we've got privacy fences and security systems and everything is laid out on a perfect grid and, uh, you know, life functions in a way where we feel like we're safe all the time. Like, despite all the the best attempts of man to to shelter ourselves from any fear, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to bump up against fear probably a lot if you're following the real Jesus of the Bible. So what do we do with that? Faith drives out our fears. So we've got to ground our faith in the person of Jesus. Again, Peter doesn't say to Jesus, promise me I won't sink. He doesn't say, Jesus, would you please calm the storm and then I can walk out on still water. He says, Jesus, if you are, I am. If you are who you say you are, command me and I will come to you. So he roots in that one act, in that one moment, uh, obedience because Jesus is the I am. I think what Matthew's trying to tell us here is if you are clear on God's call on your life, You can act in courage and faith, despite whatever consequences may may be in front of you. Fear creeps back into Peter's heart when he notices the storms and the waves. Many of y'all probably heard sermons on this before. Peter's looking at Jesus when he gets out of the boat, but all of a sudden the, the wind rises up. Peter begins looking around him at the storms, and that's whenever he begins to sink. And so it's like, oh yeah, if you, if you don't focus on Jesus, if you don't ground your faith in Jesus, fear will overwhelm you. But even in those moments, Jesus is still God. Because look at how Matthew records what happens next. When, when Peter looks away from Jesus and he begins to sink, verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Fear creeps back in. Beginning to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me. Verse 31, Jesus, and there's our word again, immediately rescues him. So Jesus acts decisively when he's afraid. When they were afraid to begin with, Jesus gave them a word. When he was afraid in this instance, Jesus moves in his direction. If you want fear to be pushed back in your life, you've got to root your faith in the person of Jesus. It's the only hope we have. The harsh realities of life will always overcome the assurances of God's power for us if we're not directly tied to Jesus in all things. Michael Green in his commentary on this particular passage says this. He says, we already have seen Jesus stilling the storm. The new development here is that Jesus comes to them in the storm. Jesus walks on the storm. Jesus invites the trusting disciple to share the victory parade with him. And when Peter gets out of the boat to go to Jesus, he finds that it works. He can walk on the storms of life. And then he wonders what he is doing. He takes his eyes off Jesus. He looks at the wind and the waves. He begins to get engulfed. But then Peter, the prince of the apostles, shows the way of overcoming failure for others to follow. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. He didn't wait until he was drowning. As soon as he felt himself sinking, he called out to the Lord. In other words, in moments when fear is gripping our hearts, if we're going to be the one who steps out on faith, we've got to realize in those moments, root your faith in the person of Jesus. It's, um, y'all play freeze tag growing up, right? Yeah, freeze tag. Kiddos are in the room. Go home and play some freeze tag today. If you get outside, it's going to be easy. It's cold. 
freeze tag. So there was always the kid that would never venture very far away from base, right? That kid, he would never get out and mix it up. He was like, I'm on base, I'm on base. You never could tag him, right? Well, in some instances, that's the example that we're given by Peter and Jesus here. Jesus is base. And you're never going to get stuck somewhere if you stay close to base, right? As long as you're willing, as long as you can, can grab a hold or realize that he's grabbing a hold of you. Don't get too far away from Jesus. That's why repentance is essential for the life of faith. That's why some of you are gridlocked by fear right now. You haven't turned and ran back to Jesus in God knows how long. But he's reaching out. He's there. He wants to rescue and save. Lord, save me is the cry of a disciple who realizes that fear has them stuck and paralyzed. Lord, save me. Come back, rushing back into my life in order to deliver me from the storms that are all around me. And in order for that to happen, for disciples to kind of walk the way of faith and not be gridlocked by fear, we've got to be deliberate. We have to be deliberate. Walking this thing out with intentionality. In other words, I would just say my encouragement to you today is you try to apply maybe this for your life. Spend your energy on that which matters. Again, that word immediately is key. It says that after feeding the 5,000, immediately Jesus sent the disciples away and went to be by himself. Why? Because Jesus doesn't waste words. And he doesn't, take, he doesn't have missteps. He models for disciples what it looks like to be grounded in faith. You're going to have to practice solitude. You're going to have to go alone and be with the Lord. You're going to have to root your heart in the truth of God's word. Don't waste time. Don't waste energy. Don't spend your days for stuff that doesn't matter. Run to the Lord. Be deliberate. Be intentional. Retreat to pray. We're going to talk about this just next week as we kick off this next series about what it looks like to practice spiritual discipline such that it quiets the anxiety of our souls. We're going to talk about what does it look like when Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 6, go into your room, close the door, and pray like this. It's real simple. It's harder to do than we could ever imagine, though. We've got to be deliberate. 2021 through 22 was a really hard season for me personally. Like I I went through some stuff, still kind of sorting some of that out. 2023, the Lord showed up in some new ways in in my life and revealed to me, like just like the disciples here, sometimes the storms are on purpose. Sometimes the big waves are there to scare you so that you'll go back and touch base. So you'll be reminded and be grounded in who you are in Christ and what he's done for you and what he's summoned you to. Sometimes the Lord puts you in those situations in order to bring to the surface the areas of your heart and life that you've not been doing business with. So you'll do some business with those things. And so in 2024, then I look at that, and I'm like, okay, 2023 was different. The hard stuff prepared my soul. My, my skin was thickened and my heart was softened a little bit. I'll go. It's what we see in Isaiah chapter 6. When the prophet Isaiah encounters the Lord in a vision and he's healed and touched by the, the coal from, burning coal from, from the altar and he's cleansed of his sin and the immediate response to the Lord is, hear my, send me. So what we see with Joshua as he begins to walk into the promised land and receive the gift of God's promise for him and for the generations to come. And as the Lord reminds Joshua, some like five, six times in the first chapter of Joshua, only be strong and very courageous. And so Joshua looks upon the people and says, I don't know what y'all are going to do, but me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what it looks like to be the one to go. We're going to step forward in faith. And there's a deliberateness about that. There's an intentionality about that. There's a walking that out in a way that God intended. 
So what steps do you need to take in 2024 to expand your love and your worship of Jesus? Because that's where all this ends. Look at the very end of this. Verse 32. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. The disciples were like, wait a minute. Remember, this is the guy who has control over the storms. What's the response? Verse 33. Those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. How will you walk out faith in such a way so as to lead to that taking of heart, love for Jesus, and worship of who he is, what he summoned you to, what he calls you to, what he has for you into this next year? Let me give you just a couple of questions and we'll be done. What has God been calling you to do? Are you doing it? Have you been trying to negotiate it? Have you been putting down pros and cons and talking to your buddies and your friends and saying, let's let me collect more wisdom. Be decisive, I would say. Make a decision. If God's made it clear to you, do it, whatever it may be. Well, where is God sending you? And part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to be one who is sent. Little a apostle, the sent ones. What space in your neighborhood or in your workplace has God sent you to on purpose for the sole reason of making known the name of Jesus and living for his glory there? What is God asking you to do today? Maybe it's repentance. Maybe there's been conviction of sin that's been sort of ruminating in your heart and life for a while. But you keep running back to it because you're just not sure if you believe all this stuff. And maybe today the Holy Spirit provokes you again. And today you need to be decisive and turn. Again, revivalism has all of its flaws. But one of the things I love, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That's what it means to say I'll go. So Father, would your people today respond in faith? And Jesus, would once again your word come to us that reminds us that you are who you say you are. You are the great I am. You, you lived our life and died our death and rose again so that we can live by faith and not by sight. So that the storms of this life don't cripple us. The anxieties of this life don't tie us down. Lord, we can know that you're with us. You'll be good to us forever. And God, would that faith then be manifest in obedience? Would we walk it out in a way that brings you glory? We walk it out in a way that brings people to know you and the goodness of your name. And would 2024 be different for us simply because we've grown in faith and not in fear. We ask these things in your name alone. Jesus, amen.